to get the elephant out of the room, yeah, my voice is a little bit different. So maybe like if I had a British accent, it might draw you in just a little bit more today. And I hope that it does because I believe that the text that we have today in front of us is, it's rich. I've always loved Ruth chapter 1, but Ruth chapter 2, as I studied it throughout this week, it just became uh, very precious to me. And so I hope that it's a joy for you as we have a chance uh, to take a look. And so uh, as I mentioned to you last time, I know I love that we have our phones or our Bibles on our phones and there's words on the screen that you can follow along. But my hope is that uh, you'll be able just to mark your, your, your Bible up, uh, to be able to highlight and underline things that as we go through this sermon series, but also this study that there's just arrows pointing and words underlined, and you're just getting an idea of, of some of the things that are going on within this passage. And especially today, there's a lot of just uh, great, great stuff that we get to look at here this morning. So I'm going to begin by reading the first five verses, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump on in. So look with me, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that this morning that you would teach us and that you would reveal to us your good grace uh, and your favor. And if you would, where you're seated, would you just pray, not for yourself today, pray for the person either on the either side of you or in front of you, behind you. Pray that they would be able to hear of the grace and the favor of God. And if you'd be so kind, would you pray for me, that I'll be a help and communicate this truth that we can take it with us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to give you a little bit of context, because if you weren't with us last week or you slept since last week, sometimes we forget what happened in the previous week. Very simply, Ruth chapter 1 was a story that introduced us to a lot of great loss. Uh, we saw that there was great loss of, there was a famine in the land. And so a man and his family, they decided to leave the land of Israel in Bethlehem, make their way to a pagan foreign land of Moab in order to try to survive. And we see that from that moment going forward, that family just begins to experience great loss and incredible tragedy and a lot of failures. We find that this man by the name of Elimelech, who is married to Naomi, he, he dies once they get to Moab. And then their two sons, they marry two Moabite women. And again, for us in our context, when we're reading this 2022, we have a hard idea, or we don't have a really good idea of just what all that kind of entails. But we have to be reminded that for an Israelite, uh, maybe a father reading this to his children at night, kind of reading them the, the Ruth bedtime story, they would immediately recognize that Moab is, is bad. Moab is the place that this whole country began with an incestuous relationship of where Lot and his daughter 
had a child, and his name was Moab, and that's the, the beginning, the foundings of this country, and it doesn't pick up from there. It just get, continues to get worse, so much so that whenever the people of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, wanting to make their way into the promised land, they wanted to cross through Moab, and the Moabites said, not going to happen. You can't cross through here. We also find in the book of Numbers that specifically Moabite women are women that the people of Israel really looked down upon and had kind of like a side glance of like, I'm going to keep my eye on you because it was understood that Moabite women were immoral because they led Israelite men into sexual immorality and downfall and then into the worship of pagan gods or idolatry. And so when you hear the fact that they go to Moab, this would have been a, they could have gone anywhere, but why would they go to Moab? And as a result, we see just a lot of hardship that takes place. But then as it continues to go on, these two sons, they, they pass away. Um, and so now it's just Naomi with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And she realizes that there is a hint of opportunity of God bringing food back into the land of Israel and Bethlehem. So she says, I'm going to make my way back, but you need to stay here daughter-in-laws, I know we've gone through a lot of life this last 10 years, and I know that we've experienced death and loss and grief and infertility. Like it's, it's been a difficult time, but you need to stay here. Go back to your parents. You're free from those bonds of marriage with my sons. And one goes back, Orpah, and one goes forward with Naomi, and that is, of course, Ruth. And when we get to the end of this, what we find is that there's a specific word that we highlighted last week, and it is the word chesed. And that's a great word for me to say today because I do get to clear my throat. So say it with me, chesed. And so chesed is a fun word to say. Uh, it lets you clear your throat, but it's also just this beautiful word that you can look at it. This Hebrew word encapsulates so many different ideas for us within the English language. It's this idea of mercy and faithfulness and loyalty and kindness, love, compassion, all in one word in Hebrew is chesed. And what I found is if you look at last week is that Naomi and Ruth have experienced great loss, but listen to me, they experienced greater chesed. It was great loss, but the chesed that they experienced is even greater, specifically the chesed that is demonstrated by Ruth to Naomi, but ultimately the chesed that is demonstrated by God to these women. And it doesn't maybe look like it because we want to see the supernatural, miraculous chesed, but we see that the chesed of God is at work in the life of these two young women. And so when we come to the end of chapter one, what we find is that they have an incredible need, two incredible needs. They need food and they need family. And I know this might be, again, hard for us in this day and time, but in that day and time, this isn't us looking down upon or being chauvinistic, but for a woman, a widowed woman, a single foreign widowed woman to be in a foreign land, this is dangerous for them to be in that kind of setting and scenario. Like they need family because so much of family, being married, having children, all of that, it meant protection. So they need Family and food, they need provision and protection, however you want to write that in your Bible or in your notes, but they need family and food, or they need provision and protection. And the sad reality is that when you get to the end of chapter one, is that Naomi wants to change her name when she arrives back into Bethlehem. Her friends see her from 10 years ago, and they're like, man, could this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, because the Lord Almighty is against me. Call me Mara, because my life is just bitter. 
And she's like, I've come, I left full, I've come back empty. And it's so sad to see that she's so blind in her pain and her grief and her loss that she misses the chesed that is literally standing right next to her, which is a Moabite woman that the author of Ruth won't let us forget, that a Moabite woman stands next to her and is demonstrating incredible chesed and kindness and loyalty and love and mercy. And that's what brings us into chapter 2. They need food, they need family, they need protection and provision, and look at what God does. We saw as we read those first five verses, if you're taking notes, what we find in this first section of of Act 2 in Ruth chapter 2 is this first scene is hoping for favor, that that Ruth is, is hoping, praying for that there might be favor. And before we find her hoping for favor, we are introduced to a new character by the name of Boaz. And what we find is that Elimelech, Naomi's now deceased husband, that Elimelech and Boaz are from the same clan or the same family. We'll get to more of that later on. But what we also find about Boaz, it's a good, strong name, Boaz is this man that it says in my translation, in the New American Standard, a man of great wealth. Some translations say a man of standing. Other translations say a man of character. What you find is that in just a brief phrase is that this is a man by the name of Boaz that within the community, it's not just rumor, it's truth, that this is a man of integrity a man of influence, and a man of means. Like, he has a lot going for him, and it's well known. When you get to verse 2, again, the author of Ruth reminds us that Ruth, the Moabitess, talks to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she says, I'm wanting to go to the fields to glean ears of grain. And this is something where if you don't know some of your Old Testament, the the Pentateuch that we studied, we didn't even hit on this during our MPA uh, spring session, but there was a law that was put into place because God cares for the poor, God cares for the destitute and the outcast, is that whenever a man would have his fields gleaned uh, during a certain time of harvest, they wouldn't glean the corners of the field, and anything that they left behind, they wouldn't go back and pick up so that the poor and the destitute could glean in the corners to actually have food and be provided for, and to be able to pick up the the bits of grain that were left on the floor that they weren't able to, to get on their first pass. God is a God that wants to demonstrate chesed to the poor and destitute. Ruth knows about this, that this is a practice within the nation of Israel. And she says, Naomi, we need food. We need provision. I want to go and I'm hoping that I'll be able to find favor. Essentially, she's saying, I'm going to go down to the food bank, or I'm going to go onto the street, and I'm going to collect aluminum cans. I'm going to gather all of these cans, and I'm probably not going to get much for it, but we are desperate, destitute. We need food. I don't, I don't see her packing her lunch to go to work that day. I don't see them eating breakfast that morning. I just see her saying, man, we, we need some food. And so, yes, I'm, I'm hoping, as she says right here, may I find favor when I go to that field. She's hoping for favor. She's hoping, the the other word for this is grace. She's hoping that grace or favor will be demonstrated to her that she could experience kindness from someone, something unexpected from from someone. And so as a result, what ends up happening is, is she makes her way to this field and the author of the book of Ruth begins to have a little bit of fun with what's taking place here. It says specifically in verse three, she departed and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And then it says she happened. 
what we see is that the hope that, or the favor that she's been hoping for has been sovereignly ordained for her to be able to receive. We see sovereign favor of God demonstrating favor or grace in ways that Ruth, Ruth couldn't even fathom or couldn't even comprehend. She has no idea what's about to be in store for her for the rest of this day. Like she doesn't get the idea that I just happened to glean into this field. The author of the book of Ruth, when it says she happened, it's literally her, her chance chanced upon. Another way that we might say it today is as luck would have it. Like, wouldn't you know, of all the fields in all the world that she could have possibly gleaned in, she happened to show up in Boaz field. And she doesn't even understand the, the significance of that. And so what you find is that sometimes what we call coincidence, it's not coincidence, it's God and it's his blessing and it's his favor and it's his grace in your life. Don't miss it. And what we want sometimes in our lives, and, and, and you can debate me afterwards, but I believe it to be true, is what we say that we want. We want the hesed of God, and, and I'll take it however it can be, but what we want is the grace and favor of God in a miraculous, supernatural way. The, what I would say, the seen hand of God working in your life, answering maybe your specific prayer. But what we see here is the unseen hand of God. Are you seeing, if you will, knowing that the unseen hand of God is actively at work around you? Even if you can't feel it, know it, he's at work. And Ruth has no idea what's going on here. She doesn't even understand that his favor and his grace is going to be just showers of blessing upon her. This idea of like, as luck would have it, chance upon chance, that kind of thing. Uh, I can remember whenever... uh, I was in Fort Worth, Texas. I was at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was getting my, my master's degree at, at, at seminary. And I can remember I first showed up that spring of 2004. And then wouldn't you know it, chance upon chance, that I just happened to be placed into a dorm room who would become my, my best friend. Well, Tiffany's my best friend, but you know what I mean, my best friend. And so as he and I began to travel through life together, there was one area of my life that I felt like I was just struggle of, of, of yielding to the Lord, and that was, I longed to be married, so I was like, God, I'm going to tithe. I don't have a problem with that discipline. I don't have a problem with reading my Bible and praying. I don't have a problem with serving, doing ministry, going on missions, being able to have a chance to teach. I want to give excellence. But in this area, can I just kind of push you to the side because it's not working quick enough the way that I want it to work, and so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And so my method and my means by which to pursue someone was so casual and so selfish that God wasn't involved at all. And then right before Tiffany showed up to Fort Worth, Texas in August of 2004, God took me through a journey with my best friend and my roommate, Rick, of some different men's studies and some different just wise people in our life preaching and teaching truth into us as young men who long to be married of what it looked like to pursue someone biblically, selflessly, and God-honoring that we would date or court And that's a little bit of a tease of something that we're going to be doing this summer with the MPA. We're going to be going through the Song of Solomon and taking a look at what it means for true attraction and dating and courtship. And some of you are like, I've been through all of that. Like, why would I? You have kids and grandkids. You have friends of yours. As we get into eventually sex and intimacy and marriage and conflict and fighting, because it's going to happen, like we get to journey through this relationship that we see with Song, we see with Solomon and the Shulamite woman. And there's so much that we glean from that specific study and men sharing with us this truth that it, it set us on a trajectory that by the time we got into the summer months, that my whole 
My whole paradigm, my, my whole idea of what it was to pursue someone, to pursue uh, a woman was so radically different and I believe biblical, biblically based that, that it just changed because when, when Tiffany first showed up, What's interesting is, is I could just say, well, it just happened that this girl who lived in East Tennessee just so happened to decide to skip three seminaries closer to her where she grew up and came all the way 17 hours into Fort Worth, Texas. She just happened to do that at the same time that I did. She just happened to be someone who was going to room with one of my good friends that I was going to church with. And so I was just going to so happen because I happened to have a truck that I could so happen to help her move in, even though I didn't know who she happened to be. And so I show up. Well, I didn't really show up on time. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was Fort Worth, Texas in August. You can imagine heat like you can't, can't, can't quite comprehend. And I can remember I was helping a guy with his mowing business and I was mowing and I was weeding and I was doing the little jetpack blower thing. Uh, and it, I mean, I just remember being drained by the end of that day because it was a long day of hard work out in the sun. And by the time I got done, my roommate, Rick, my best friend, he he was gone. I was like, I'm going to go back to the dorm room and I'm going to get me some Oreos and some milk and I'm going to get clean and I'm going to lay down. If I go to sleep by seven o'clock, praise the Lord, it's going to be the best day ever. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call on my parents' cell phone because I couldn't have a cell phone because I didn't have any money. And so I get this call from my friend and she goes, hey, are you still, are you still available to give us your truck to be able to like help us move? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'll be there in just a few minutes. And so, uh, I, I threw on, I vividly remember, I threw on some cut-off camo pants, and uh, I threw on a sleeveless U2 shirt, and I showed up, and I, I looked so good, I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, tone and tan. Um, and so I, I, I show up, and I try to get the sleep out of my eye, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. And, uh, and then the first thing I know is, 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 this, is what I, this is what I genuinely experienced, is in verse 5, whenever Boaz says, whose young woman is this? When I walked through the door, I was like, whose young woman is that? <laughs> her parents were around because they were helping her move in. And I was like, I don't care. Whose young woman is that? Immediately there was, a, there was an attraction, but it wasn't coincidence and it wasn't happenstance. It was favor, it was blessing. I know of a young lady who this time of year goes like, will I get married? And now she's getting married in October. <laughs> and it's just crazy how quickly things can move, how quickly things can change, that you wake up one morning, man, can we have food today? and you're about to see abundant blessing by the time she goes home. Like, you just don't know. The grace and the favor of God. We talk about the grace of God a lot in church, and, and rightfully so, but sometimes we just don't get it. Like, when I'm reading this, because I know the end of the story, and I hope you did your lesson, you didn't read Ruth 2, like I told you to. Some of you got on to me for that. I was like, no, you don't need to read it. I don't want you to be spoiled. But... But, but you, just don't, you just don't know just how incredible the unseen hand of God is at work. And it's hard for us because we want to see it. But his unseen hand is at work. So Ruth is hoping for favor. Let's go to the second point. She found favor. 
She has definitely found favor. Look at verse, look at verse four when it says, "Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem." Again, it's that same idea of, wouldn't you know? It just so happened. It's not an element of time that Boaz just happens to show up on that day in that field that he owns. How about that for timing? It's that classic thing of, I like romantic movies. Come at me. I don't care. Um, and so, uh, the 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 romantic. You know, I'm a kind of a big softy romantic, and Tiffany, I'll be watching a romantic movie, and she's a lot more pragmatic than. I am and a little bit more like rational and, and I'm just like oh isn't that so sweet and you know at the beginning of like a ro- romance movie of where like you see the poster so you know that guy and that girl they're, they're going to eventually become a couple but but you can't know that at the beginning and you see these two characters these two actors walk past each other and you're like oh they don't even know it's the classic they walk by each other don't even know each other yet moment but they're about to know each other and I can remember Tiffany just being like that's ridiculous I mean they just walk right past each other I'm like that's so romantic like they don't even know what's about to happen and then with Boaz what we have it says a lot about what his first words are Listen to the first words of Boaz. He says to his servants, to his employees, may the Lord Yahweh be with you. And the employees call back, may the Lord bless you. Like this is a man of incredible, incredible integrity. And so, and then that verse, verse five, when he is looking around and he sees Ruth in the field, he's like, man, whose young woman is that? I can just see his kind of head servant, his head employee going, something catch your eye there, Boaz? You know, is there something that you're looking at? And he's like, yes, there is. Who is she? And so this man begins to identify her of who she is. And note, she's still being identified in verse 6. She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi. And in case you didn't know what a Moabite woman is, she's from the land of Moab. So we're going to just double down that this is someone that we know that would be sexually immoral because that's who they are. And she would be an idolater because that's who she is. But they don't realize of her powerful conversion experience with Ruth or with Naomi on the road back to Bethlehem of she's saying, your God, Yahweh, she calls him Yahweh, that's my God. Like they they still want to label her with that, but that... Yeah, that's who she is, but it's also who she was. But it's still the title that she's given, so that way there's no confusion of which Ruth we're talking about. And then we see in verse 8 and 9, look at what it says. It says, Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, uh, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. He literally says at the end of verse 8, when he says, stay here, it's literally the word cling that we saw in chapter 1, verse 14, when Ruth clung to Naomi. It's the same word that I told you last week from Genesis chapter 2 of when Adam and Eve, when God says a man shall leave his father and mother and so will the woman and the two will cling to one another. They'll become one flesh. There's this sense of, 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 of just closeness of like don't 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 stray away and what we find and gentlemen take note of this especially young men and for fathers for your young men in your life that you're leading and modeling notice what he does first what boaz does is he first in verse five he asks about this woman this was my problem i get so so just like i'm going to take control i'm going to do the asking and i'm just going to immediately be like hey let's just go for a coffee date it's no big deal but in that moment i've engaged your heart whether i meant to or not i've engaged your mind but instead he's like i want to ask just some questions who is this person i want to get to kind of know who she is from those that are around her and then takes the moment to uh, approach her 
He has the, 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 um, the courage to be able to actually approach the young woman and to be able to talk to her and to care for her. And what you find in verse 8 and 9 is the two things that, they, that Naomi and Ruth needed at the end of chapter 1, which was, was provision and protection. Boaz, in this moment, through that speech in verses 8 and 9, he's basically saying, you're going to be provided for and you're going to be protected. What you need, you're about to experience. You're going to have favor. And so what you come to is in verse 10. For us, we, we might not think that this is a big deal, but specifically when Boaz says, you can go drink from the, 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 the water jug of my servants, for, for a young woman, for a young foreign woman, to be allowed to go drink from their water, that would have been shocking. It may not be shocking to us, but that would have been shocking to the readers reading the book of Ruth and would have been shocking to probably those in the field because it was shocking to Ruth. So much so in verse 10, she falls on her face before this man. But this is a picture of actually worship. It's the same word that would be used in the Hebrew, falling on her face, bowing to the ground. And she's just overwhelmed of like, I don't, I don't get this. And that's what grace is sometimes. We just don't get it. It's just, it's so much if we really sit in it and realize what God has done. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I, here it is, why have I found favor in your sight? That you should take notice of me. And she even identifies herself since I am a foreigner. She's like, I know who I am and I'm not much. So why would you want to give me much? Grace for me? Have you recently found yourself asking that very question in your life as you've been traveling over the last weeks or year or decade of just like, how could he possibly have favor for someone like, like, like me? Why have I found favor with God? God, don't you know who I am? And here's the answer. He knows exactly who you are. And he's so good and so full of chesed grace and mercy and love. He says, I know exactly who you are and I want to provide for you and I want to protect you. Will you receive it? And when we know that that's what we're getting, because at times if we're not careful, I've been guilty of this, you maybe have as well, of I'm just walking through the life doing Christian work or Christian ministry and I'm like, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, but you don't grasp the gravity of the grace of God. That what you deserve is separation from God, the wrath of God, and the judgment of God because you are a sinner. You are a foreigner. You, have, you should have no place with God or the people of God or the things of God. And God in his great chesed and his love, he looks at you and he says, yeah, I know you're a sinner. I know you're an idolater. I know you're sexually immoral. I know you're distant from me, but I want to show you favor and when we experience that, for some of you, you can remember the day that you gave your, your you, you received Christ as Lord, you placed your faith in him. For some of you, it's as clear as it can be, and you can just remember just how humbled and overwhelmed you were that all you could really do was maybe not physically, but at least inwardly, there was this sense of just falling on your face and worshiping him because there's nothing that I could possibly do to really demonstrate how grateful I am. Is that your relationship with Christ? If it's not, then check your relationship with Christ if it's there. Of recognizing His grace is so big and it's so good. And so, excuse me, so in verse 11, it says, Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, so apparently he's found out more information about her, 
All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Just highlight the whole of verse 12. May the Lord Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz inquires more about Ruth, investigates her to see who she is. And what this is showing is he went beyond the, whoa, whose woman is that? To, I want to know who she is and not just get distracted by a pretty face, if you will. Gentlemen, that is, that is a huge thing. Again, raising your sons, raising your grandsons, of just understanding that, that beauty is fleeting. But what we want to see is we want to see that there's this character that's being demonstrated of, wow, that foreign woman that you keep talking about from the land of Moab was willing to, to leave father and mother and home and abandon everything to be with Naomi. Like that, that speaks volumes of who Ruth is and her character and, and what she has to, to do. And so just don't get, don't get side distracted. Like the physical attraction is a thing. We're not going to deny that it's not a thing. Physically attracted to Tiffany, still physically attracted to Tiffany, will always be physically attracted to Tiffany. And the thing is, is that that's not a bad thing. But before you pull that lever and go, hey, let's just go out on a date because I'm attracted to you. It's I'm attracted to you. But now I want to be able to see who are you before I pull that lever. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I engage and say, hey, let's go get a Coke. Hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. You're putting up a facade of what you think I want to see. But what I want to see is just who are you? I want to know who you are. I want to know who you are with your roommates before we ever, you have any idea that I'm interested in you. I want to see who you are with your parents, with your friends. I want to get to know who you are before you start showing me who you think I want you to be. I want to just know you because I want to know what kind of person it is that I'm pursuing. Gentlemen, I know it's hard, but be patient and selfless in your pursuit of your future wife. It's worth it. And so, uh, <clears throat> I was going to share what, what, I, what, I, what I did with Tiffany, but for time's sake, I, I won't. But it's a passionate subject of mine, because I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, when it came to attraction, dating, courtship, sex, intimacy, marriage, it was not discussed at all, or sparingly. And this summer, we're going to go into Song of Solomon on Thursday nights, and there might be a few moments where you blush, but it's good, and it's godly, and you need to know the truth from God's biblical standard of what it has to say for your good and for the good of your children and your grandchildren and the next generation, that we wouldn't be a church that was found guilty of not proclaiming the full counsel of the Word of God. And Song of Solomon is the full counsel of the Word of God. And so, what we find is that in that great verse of verse 12, is this great verse of Boaz basically saying, yeah, I can provide and protect you. That's what I just did in verses 8 and 9. But ultimately, may you find refuge in the Lord. A way to put this is he uses the illustration of like a bird sheltering its young with its wings. It's this beautiful imagery of God saying, I'm going to shelter you. I'm going to be your refuge. I'm going to take care of you. 
And so now we come to the third and final scene. So we've seen that Ruth was hoping for favor. She actually found the favor. And now she's like, I've tasted it. Can the favor continue? She wants continued favor. And I hope the same is true for us. Look at verse 13. It says, she said, I have found favor in your sight. Some translations, and I like the way that these are, it's let me continue to find favor in your sight. Or may I continue to find favor in your sight. My Lord, for you have comforted me. Indeed, you have spoken kindly, chesed, to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. This is so good. I've tasted, I've seen, I've prayed, I've hoped, I've received it, but yet I didn't know it was going to be this good. So can I have some more, please? Can I experience more of this? Like, like it's overwhelming, and I'm, I, and I'm grateful. I'm not trying to be greedy, but it's that good. I want more. You ever tasted that dessert, and you're like, I know I shouldn't, but I want more. Like, it's that good. I need to have more of it. Now, in between verses 13 and 14, there's a, some time that passes during the course of this day. But then what you find in verse 14, though this time has passed, Boaz pursues Ruth again. Again, a great thing to remind gentlemen, gently pursue, gently pursue the one that you are uh, interested in. But in verse 14, look at what it says. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he, Boaz, served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. You know what this is, don't you? This is a date. This is, a, this is their first date. And Boaz, being the man that he is, he's, he invites her, he pursues her, said, hey, come here, gently, kindly, come here. And then he says, I know that you were probably just going to eat some of the grains that you found um, in the corners of the field, and you're just going to kind of pop those like sunflower seeds, if you will. I'm sure you didn't bring a lunch, but come and eat with me. You're invited to my table. And you know what that is to be invited to eat with someone in that culture? It's a big deal for us today, but huge in that culture in that day and time to be invited to share a meal and sit around a table. It it meant that you were in and that you were invited in for fellowship. And so here they are, they're having this meal. And then you ever been to that that Italian restaurant where the the guy comes out and he, he... all of a sudden, first time I ever went, he had this like weird looking bottle with a weird looking cap at the top and, and he poured this oil out and I was like, you want me to put that in my mouth? And there's a whole nother story about a place I went to the avenue that some of the young adults know about. You can ask me about that later. Just let me tell you, don't take shots of uh, vinegar uh, or oil. That's not what they were doing. I thought they were free samples. Again, I'm getting distracted. Stop it. And so... But I can remember going to the Italian restaurant, and, and then they started putting some of this other stuff, and I was with Tiffany, and I was like, they expect me to dip my bread in that. This bread is good. It's not tainted. She's like, just give it a shot. And so we stir it up, and I eat it, and I'm like, ooh, found something else that I like. I taste it, and I've seen. It's good. And so I wanted more of it. And so Boaz is just treating her. He's taking care of her. She, it says that she ate. She was satisfied, and she even had a doggy bag left over. That's how much that Boaz was just doting on her. Like, here you go, here you go, here you go. So Ruth leaves. She's, Boaz says, man, I want you to be sheltered by God. Uh, you've been served by me. You're satisfied now that you have eaten at this table. And now you get to go and you get to go back to work. And some commentators and some people go, well, why would Boaz do all of this and say, well, now go back to the field? Why didn't he just, like, just give her stuff? Let me ask you, whenever you put in a hard day's work, I'm actually, no, no, no. We'll we'll see that in just a second. 
because I, I don't want to spoil that for you. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. So anyway, so verse 15 and 16. So Ruth leaves the table. She goes back to the field. Verse 15, it says, when she rose to glean, then Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not insult her. Literally, don't embarrass her. No ethnic jokes. They're not funny, so don't do it. Especially around her. I'll find out, and you're not going to like it. Also, you shall purposely pull out of uh, pull out for her some grain from the bundles, so just like leaving bundles behind, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So he's taking care of her, but he's doing it in a way to where she doesn't feel like a charity case. He's doing it in a way to where you're, you're doing some work, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to help without it being awkward for you, of feeling like you're just this handout, I, I, but I do want to take care of you. And so in verse 17 and 18, it says, she gleaned in the field until evening, hard, long days of work. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And some people are like, well, what does that mean? And basically what that means is that this was enough food for two people, Naomi and Ruth, to eat for about a week. And it was about 30 to 50 pounds. And so look at, look at verse, verse, verse 18. So she took it up. She kind of hoisted this thing up. I can see it like in a backpack. I, see, I don't know why I just see this little dainty girl from Moab, and she's just like, whoop, and she puts this thing, and she's got 30 to 50 pounds on her. She's probably like falling back, falling forward, just doing that whole thing. And it says, she took it up, went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it and gave out Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. And so I can just picture this, 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 little, this little young woman with this little backpack of like 30 to 50 pounds of just barley, and she's just kind of making her way down. She's like, look what I did today. This is why, instead of just giving her the handout, she's walking into this room, into her mother-in-law's home, and she's like, it wasn't just given to me. I worked for this, and look how the, look. And I imagine Naomi's eyes have just gotten huge at this point of like, I expected about, you know, this much. You've brought 30 to 50 pounds home, like, what's going on, and you need to get to talking. And then before she can even ask questions, Ruth's like, yeah, I even got to eat lunch. She's like, you got to eat lunch? You didn't even take lunch with you. What kind of lunch did you get to eat? And then she goes, no, 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 I had so much I couldn't even finish it. So here, here's a doggy bag. And so Naomi's just like, I don't even care about the doggy bag. How did you, one, how did you get the doggy bag? And then she does what, no offense to the fair sex, but this is what my wife does. Sometimes she finds out something, she just starts peppering me with questions. And I'm like, it's too many questions. And this is what Naomi is beginning to do. Look at verse, look at verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, uh, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he took notice of you. Be blessed. And she's just like, boom, 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 boom. what's going on? And what the author of the book of Ruth does in verse 19 is this beautiful thing is he's saving the name of Boaz for the very end. I think that's intentional. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Verse 19. And she's like, whoever it was, however this happened, may he who took notice of you be blessed. And so she told her mother-in-law, she's like filling her in. They're just probably chewing on some barley um, and with whom she had worked. And she said, the name of the man with I worked with today, Boaz. And in that moment, I think Naomi chokes on what she was eating in that doggy bag because she can't, she can't believe it. She either choked on her or spit it out. Because see, this is the thing. As I told you last week, what Naomi had gone through, understandably so, was difficult, and so she, she was bitter. She was hurt. She even calls herself bitter. It's understandable. It's not excusable, but it's understandable. And so for a time, she's kind of been, if you will, in the bitter barn 
struggling with where is God and all the hardship I've gone through. And some of you can relate to that. And then now, in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, what you find is that there's just this, there's this undertone of joy because favor and grace has run right into this little, little mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, right into this home. And what Naomi begins to do is, look at verse 20. I love this. Naomi's mind starts going, I think, really fast because she knows what this means. She says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness, that's chesed, to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Literally, he is one of our kinsmen. He is a kinsman redeemer. Goel. We're going to talk about a goel or a kinsman redeemer in the weeks to come. We don't have time to get into that today. But what Naomi is beginning to do is she's like, I know the word of God. I know the law. And I know that in this moment that the favor of God that was unseen for a time is now beginning to be seen. And I can see, and she starts formulating a plan of how their, their life could be forever altered and changed because there is hope and grace and opportunity in front of them. And so what we begin to find is that Naomi is now, I think, experiencing joy, compassion, mercy, favor, and it's all this hesed of God being experienced by Naomi really through the person of Ruth and through the person of Boaz. In verse 21, it says, then Ruth the Moabitess, again, we got to give her that tag, said, furthermore, uh, she's like, that's not all. Uh, furthermore, he said to me, you shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. This is what Ruth is saying, as opposed to like, hey, if Boaz was like, hey, Ruth, every day you just show up, we're going to have it packaged, ready for you. Here you go. Just go live your day. I don't want you to do anything. Instead, there's this sense of joy and excitement when she's like, furthermore, she's like, I have a job and it's a good paying job. (laughs) And I'm able to take care of us. Like tomorrow I have provision and the day after that I'll have provision. So that means we'll have provision And so Naomi in verse 22 says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good. Like, this is all so good. Uh, My daughter, that you go out with the maids so that others do not fall upon you in the the field. I I think this is the mom in Naomi coming out, kind of the, 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 well, some of you ladies will understand. She's like, here's what you do, Ruth. Don't, Don't you mess this up. You stay with those girls. You follow those girls. You don't go talk to those boys over at the water jug. You stay with those girls. You stay close to them because there is a Boaz. There is a Redeemer. You don't understand all of that yet, so you stay with them. If I see you walking down the road with Joseph, is no, you need to stay close to those girls so that you are provided for and protected because there's an opportunity that is in front of us. Naomi's thinking ahead. And then finally, verse 23 last verse of the chapter, it says, so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. It's about two, three months that she's going to the field. And so you get this idea of this had to be like two or three months of just romance is in the air. <laughs> and you expect that last, the last sentence of like, and Boaz got on his knee and was like, I'll be your man of bread for the rest of your life and just all this kind of stuff, like just going for it. And, 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 and when you get to this last phrase, it's like, and she lived with her mother-in-law. No, <laughs> 
that's, that's not how that's supposed to end. And I can just see a Jewish father with his two, two Jewish children just talking to him, reading them this story. Their eyes are in it. The little girl especially is like, what's going to happen to Ruth? Boaz is going to propose. Are they going to get married? And then dad's just like, and she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, guys, that's all we've got time for tonight. Let's go to bed. And that little girl is just like, you better start reading that again because that's not how it ends. That's not how I want it to end. And that's true for us. Sometimes we think, God, everything's moving so smoothly. I'm experiencing your grace. This is how it should end. But you don't know the unseen hand of God at work still. You're seeing it now, but there's still some unseen stuff that you have not yet seen and experienced. So Ruth hoped for favor, found favor, and experienced continual favor. But this is not just for Ruth. It was also Naomi. God shows chesed, loving kindness, loyalty, and mercy and favor to Naomi through Ruth. And God shows chesed, favor, and grace to Ruth through Boaz. As we finish, hang with me here. This isn't pastor doing the thing of like, well, we got to bring Jesus into it. That's not it. Jesus, the gospel is all over this chapter. All over this chapter. What you find is Ruth, and mentioned it multiple times, is the Moabite from Moab, the foreigner. She's an outcast. And yet that beautiful scene of that first date, she's brought in by Boaz to sit at his table to be served by the master of the table. She's able to eat and be full of food and full of favor. She's completely satisfied, not wanting. And ultimately, she is sheltered under the wings of God. This is the gospel in Ruth 2 for you and me, is that you and I, we are the outcasts. That, that, that we, we are the ones that are hoping for favor like Ruth was just hoping, like could there someone possibly be kind to us back in verse 3? Like, is there even such a thing? Like, I see some people having good opportunities, so maybe I don't get it. Maybe, maybe it's not favor that I need. Maybe, maybe I need some better karma, or I need some kitsmit, or I need something. There's something out in this world that people keep talking about that I need and that I want to experience, but I just, I just can't. It seems to be out of my grasp, and it's just like the wind, and I can't, I can't experience or know it, but I've seen people seem to have some better life than me. And this is the thing, is it's not karma, it's not kismet, it's not any of those things, or any of those ideas. It's actually something more and something greater to the point that you have no idea how much God can shower blessings upon you. That when God demonstrates his hesed, his favor, his grace to you through Jesus, that God demonstrated his love, his hesed toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That while we were yet destitute and outcast, God sent his son to die for us. Sometimes we go, does God care? He sent his son to die for us. The outcast, the lost, the wretched. You get that? That's you. You're the lost, you're the wretched, you're the outcast, you're the idolater, you're the sexually immoral, and yet God says, I see you and I love you. And I want to show you grace. Jesus invites you into his presence to eat at his table, shower you with grace, and you'll find that grace satisfies. And so if you would, would you just bow your head for just a moment? 
we're going to be singing a song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I just want you in this moment, kind of like Ruth, for those of you who are in Christ, that you would just sing this hymn, this familiar hymn, just to the top of your lungs from the very get-go. I know normally I'm like, hey, take a minute to pray. Don't pray. Just worship. Just worship him and go, God, that is you that I'm talking about. Just like Ruth fell at the feet of Boaz and was just like, how can this be? All she could do was just humble herself in gratitude. This is your opportunity. If you've even begun to be reminded just a taste of the, of the favor of God in your life, then hopefully there's a moment for you in, where you get to demonstrate, God, I'm so humbled and overwhelmed. May I worship you through this song. And it feels like it's just not even enough. It feels like it's not enough. And you know what? You're right. It's not enough compared to his hesed. But it's appropriate and it is good to worship the one who shows such grace. To outcast me. To wretched me. Oh, it's so good to worship him. So in just a moment, for the majority of you, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to get up and you need to sing. And worship Thank him for his faithfulness, his chesed, his loyalty, his compassion, his mercy. And for others of you, you may be sitting in this room today, you may be watching online, and you're like, man, if a man could show that to Ruth, whoa, what could God do as God who is love? And some of you are like, I have never experienced, I, I, what you're talking about, pastor, I've not experienced that. And again, I'm not wanting you to doubt your salvation, but I am wanting you to examine, is your salvation in church tradition, in the Bible, or is it in the person of Jesus Christ, who God loved us so much that he demonstrated that by sending his son to die for us, and you know him. He is the one who has you sheltered under his wings. Man. Father, I pray that we would just worship you, that we would worship Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand? Would you sing with them? If you need to talk with somebody, you need to pray about what it means to know Jesus and to know his grace, I'll be right there. I would love to talk to you. But take a moment to worship. Worship our God.